I'm going to read verse 3 to verse 7. We, we looked at much of this uh, last week, but Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this word, and we ask that in this time when we think on your word that your spirit would work in our minds and hearts enable us to see it and understand it and may your spirit father press your word into the part of our life that needs changing and may you find in us tender hearts to respond to your urging to change and we ask this in jesus name amen amen well You remember from last week, we mentioned that Paul is going to die, and he knows it. He's locked up in a dungeon in Rome. Uh, For whatever reason, he has the sense, which proved to be true, that he wasn't going to get out of jail this time. He'd been in jail several times before, but this time he's going to get out, not by someone opening the gate, but by uh, passing on from this life to the next. And so then he is writing this, this very personal letter to Timothy. And, and he's urging Timothy uh, to carry on the work and to carry on what God is doing. And to, to keep and to bring to fulfillment all that uh, Paul has tried to instill in him and help him to do. It's an urgent letter. It's a personal letter. And he is convinced, and you'll see that at the end of verse 5, He's convinced of the faith and the sincere faith that is in Timothy. He has confidence in Timothy, even if Timothy at times doesn't have confidence in himself. Paul's confident that the, that the real faith and the real living Lord is in Timothy. And so he's writing to Timothy there. And then he says in verse 6, and that verse 6 will be the... Um, the, the, the passage that we'll look at this morning. He says then, for this reason, he says, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Kindle afresh the gift of God. Now, it's interesting. We believe that and that the scripture teaches that when we believe in Jesus Christ, as each of these people that we've heard their testimonies this morning, they've professed that they came to a time in their life where they they really believed in Christ as young kids. And you're growing up. Sometimes it's it's not always clear exactly where that point is. But each of them have came to the place where they they really did trust in Jesus Christ, that the scripture teaches that. As that happens, and when that happens, we receive the Spirit of God. So that the Spirit of God then inhabits and indwells us as we believe in Jesus Christ. And then, and then the scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit gives gifts. 
Now, we don't have time to look at, at all the passages that speak about this, but if you want to look at it, just remember the number 4 and the number 12. There are four chapters in the Bible that, that speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're uh, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's the two 12s. And then there's 1 Peter 4, and there's another one that's 4, but my mind just went blank. Right, Ephesians, of course. Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4. So those two twelves and two fours, and you can read those chapters. But what they're teaching is, is that, that God the Spirit, when he inhabits us, each of us who truly believe, he gives us some gift. It's called a gift of his grace, that, that we have the special help from God to do certain things. And that those, that, that it contributes to the fruit occurring in other people's lives god gifts each of us so that as we use that gift in others lives there is fruit that takes place in first peter chapter 4 verse 10 and i'm going to go back and forth between this verse and first peter 4 10 so you might want to look that up it's on page 1442 but peter says as each one has received a special gift so each one meaning each true believer in christ has received a special gift from god an enablement of god to see fruit occurring in other people's lives in one way or another we don't all look the same it's not always the same gifts but he he does something special in each of us that can be used to bring fruit in other people's lives well that had happened in timothy's life and now paul as he's got to the end of his life he senses a need to exhort Timothy and to tell him to, to fan that gift into flame. He's saying, kindle afresh the gift of God that is in you. And before uh, we transition into just thinking in more detail about what that means, I wonder if perhaps there's that same need in you that was in Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, kindle it afresh. You know, perhaps in your life, you've, uh, you've come to the place where you understand what God's made you good at and what he's not made you good at. And you know, you know what, what it is that you do and how it is that you, you work that brings about results, positive results in other people's lives. And perhaps in the past, you've been urgent about that and you've worked hard on it. But now, maybe today you need the same word that Paul is giving to Timothy. To kindle this afresh, fan into flame this gift that God has given you. I want us to think in terms of what this means in a practical way. Uh, I think it's important for us to understand. And when you look at verse 6 and he says, kindle afresh the gift of God. Or some translations even say, fan into flame the the gift of God. That that's figurative language. It's not literal language. We're not actually fanning something and it's burning. This is a figurative expression. And so how do we take this figurative expression and make it practical in our lives? I want to suggest that there's three steps that we can take to kindle afresh the gift of God in each of us. The first step is this, and that is we need to accept the assumption I'm not going to tell you what the assumption is yet, but I want to point out something. That in this verse, there's an assumption being made. Look again at 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. 
It says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There's an unstated assumption in this verse. And that assumption is that there is something for Timothy to do. The assumption is stated this way. Real life means real service. Real life means real service. And this assumption runs through Scripture. When God gets a hold of a person's life in Scripture, they don't just sit there then and and think about that for the rest of their life. They think about it with great joy as they serve for the rest of their life. Amen? Real life means real service. It's interesting. One question that we have when we look at verse 6 is, well, what was the gift? What was the actual gift that, that Timothy had? And I believe that it's purposely been left unnamed because if God had perhaps named the gift we might have thought well that applies to Timothy and that gift but I don't have that gift so I'm not going to pay attention to verse 6 but he leaves it unnamed and I believe that's on purpose but he does say that the gift came with the laying on of Paul's hands this is a reference to his for lack of better word his ordination this is a time where where Timothy was set apart by elders and by and Paul was there and they laid hands on him and they prayed for him they had they had a sense that God was leading him to a certain kind of work they prayed for him and and we don't know all the details but but Paul is saying that God did a special work at that time and he's gifted you now to do what it is you need to do what he set you apart to do. My point this morning is that, that his gifting was related to work that needed to be done. His gifting was related to his service. There's that assumption again. Real life means real service. I didn't read the rest of the verse when I read a portion of First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It goes on like this. It says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. In serving one another. We're given gifts by the Holy Spirit so that we serve. We're not given gifts just so that we sit and enjoy the gift. The whole purpose of the gift is to serve. Real life means real service. Mark ten forty five. I quoted this to you last week. I, I say it again. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ, when he came, he came to serve, not to be served. Have you accepted this assumption for your life? Have you accepted the assumption that real life means real service. It's interesting to me that in watching these uh, testimonies in baptism and uh, knowing the stories behind each one of them, think about all the people that were represented in those stories that were unnamed, really, alluded to here and there, that they used their gifts here and there in these people's lives. And then those people came to Christ and are now being baptized. Those testimonies represent hundreds of people 
who realized that real life means real service. They didn't just sit at home. They, they used their life to influence other people. And I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that, 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 that in order for your use of your gift to mean something, it has to result in somebody being baptized. I'm not saying that. There's, there's, a, there's a multitude of ways that fruit takes place in other people's lives. But each of us have been given a gift. And each of us have been given a life. And we're supposed to use our life for other people, to use our life to serve. The American culture does not necessarily agree with this assumption of the Apostle Paul. The American culture, and especially the marketers, try to tell us over and over every day that life is all about trying to get ease, accomplish ease and fun. So if you're having ease, if you're at ease, and if you're having fun, you're having life. Or am I the only one that picks that up? That's the message that we're being told. But the scripture says, no, 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 life, life is different than that. Real life means real service. And actually what you'll find is, is that as we serve and the hand of God is on us as we serve people, we, we find a, a joy that's so much deeper than, than fun, surface fun. And we find a life that is so much richer than just trying to pursue ease. We need to accept the assumption, number one, first step in kindling afresh the gift of God that's in us. We need to accept the assumption that real life means real service. Now, next step. And really, these next two points that I'm going to make here are not explicitly mentioned in verse 6, but I believe that they're true and that, that, that it fits with what we see with all the scripture that speaks about our gifts. But the second step is very simple and straightforward. And it is this. Use your gift. Amen? Use it. How do you kindle afresh the gift of God? Well, you don't go back and sit in your living room and get a fan. You get out somewhere and you do something with the way God has gifted you. Again, listen to to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one of you has received a special gift, employ it. So he's saying, use it. In serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Employ it, he says. Use it. And then he says, to do so as a good steward. That's interesting imagery because what he's saying is that the gift wasn't yours. You didn't make the gift. God made the gift and he gave it to you. So now you've received this gift. Now you have to be a steward of it. A steward is somebody that takes care of somebody else's property and he takes care of the property according to the owner's wishes. That's what a steward is. So now I have been given a gift. Now I need to use it according to the purpose of the one who gave it to me. And so we need to use our gifts. Now right about this time, somebody's going to be thinking, I'm sure, well, I don't know what my gift is. And I want to tell you that there's no shame in that. Okay, there is no shame in not exactly being sure of what your gift is if you're continually trying to find 
the answer to that question. That's not a problem. That, that comes to us over time. We, and we mostly, the main way we find out what our gift is, is by trying to serve people. I serve people in this way. And boy, things don't go very well. And people aren't really too happy about things. So then I said, well, that, and then I serve this way. And people are helped. And fruit occurs in people's lives. And I begin to understand what my gift is, that I'm gifted in this way, not in that way. As long as you are serving and trying this and that, this way and that way, until you find that sense that when I do this, God's pleasure is on me. I find joy and other people are helped. When you find that, you're you're finding your gift. Okay? Amen? There's no shame in not knowing your gift. There is shame, though, in not knowing your gift and not trying to find out. That's no good. Take a look at the lists in those two twelves and the two fours. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians 4. They list spiritual gifts. Take a look at those four lists and then try to serve people in one way or another. And then find where it is that God blesses you. Boy, there are some things that I know I am no good at. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? In life, people often try to get you to do what you're not good at. Um, And people say, oh, you know, why don't you do this? It's great to come to the place in your life where you know what you're good at and, know, and you know what you're not. And to be able to look at a person when they say, hey, I, I, I want you to do this. And I look at them with clear conscience and great joy in your heart and say, no, <laughs> I know I'm not any good at that. And I'm not going to waste my time anymore doing what I'm not good at. But over here, I'll say yes and live life to the hilt, serving other people in this way, but not in that way. Are you using your gift? Are you finding out what your gifts are? That's the way you kindle it afresh. That's the way you fan it into flame. You use it. You use it. You use it. And then third step. The third step is trust God to work through you as you're serving other people. You trust God to work. Now, there's a subtle difference here, and and um, perhaps it may sound like I'm splitting hairs, but it's an important difference, and it's a hair that needs to be split. I'm not trusting in the gift. I'm not trusting in myself as I use the gift. I'm trusting in God. To do something as I serve other people. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. Paul, there was a lot of trouble in the Corinthian church. And, and Apollos had been another teacher in the church there. And he and Paul were co-workers. They were on the same team. But there, there was um, coming some arguments there in the in the corinthian church and people were taking sides when paul and apollos didn't mean for that to happen but people were doing it anyway and beginning in verse five of chapter three it says this paul says what then is apollos and what is paul servants through whom you believed even as the lord gave opportunity to each one i planted 
Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. This is an amazing passage, and it's very important. Twice, Paul talks about God this way. He says, God who was causing the growth. God who causes the growth. It's interesting while he says that the first time he uses it, it's past tense. And the second time, it's present tense. Back, you can look in the back in the past and you can say whatever growth took, took place, it's because of God. Amen? It was God who caused the growth. And, you, and then right now, right now, it's God who causes the growth. It's not me, Paul's saying. It's not Apollos. It's not the gifts that he and I were given by God. It's God who does it. When we serve other people and we want to see change take place in them. We just want to see the blessing of God on other people's lives. Amen? Isn't that what you want? That your interaction with other people, you don't have to become a preacher. We're not talking about that. But your interaction with other people just results in the blessing of God occurring in their lives. They're uplifted. They're changed for the better. When we want that to happen, we have to understand that that is not mechanical. It's it's relational. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's God who does that through you. It's not you that can cause it to happen. And so when we serve other people in the ways that we're good at, we need to be relying on God to do something in that other person's life or in the situation in which we find ourselves. Are you relying on yourself? Think, think about your life, where you're at right now. Think about the people in your lives that you interact with every day at work, the tasks that you have to do uh, every day at work or at home or wherever you find yourself. Think about when you meet with other Christians, whether it's in small groups or, or um, a Sunday school class or in, in the group here together or one-on-one as you meet with other Christians and you want your life at work, at home, among believers, you want your life to be used of God to to influence others for the good, to bring the blessing of God on them in, in one way or the other. Are you trying to do that while you rely on yourself or are you relying on God? You know, brothers and sisters, we we can plan to help each other grow as Christians. And we will always plan. We'll never stop planning. But we can't rely on our plans and our programs and our services and our meetings. We have to rely on God. He himself working in our midst. Amen. And there's, there's a difference in the heart. That occurs. It's almost imperceptible, except it's it's weighted on by God. Where we're just doing what we do because we always do it, or we're depending on God to show up and to change us. 
By the way, that's why we have fresh encounter meetings. It's because we need to meet together and rely on God specifically and pointedly and ask him for his presence and his blessing on all that we do. Trust God to work through you. And so Paul says to Timothy, fan this gift of yours into flame. And if we want to do the same thing, we got to remember these three, three steps. First, we accept the assumption that real life means real service. Secondly, we use our gift. We find out what it is and we use it. And thirdly, while we use it, Our trust is not in it or in ourselves, but our trust is in God, that desperately we trust in him and he will use us for his glory. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for your for your plan to work in our lives and to use us to to impact those around us. That you yourself want to do this in our lives. That you yourself want to change us. Father, we thank you. And you yourselves, you yourself, you want to use us in other people's lives. Help us, O Father, to know the gift you've given us. To use it. To trust you as we use it. And to dedicate our lives to serving other people. Not just living for ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.